1: Hello and welcome to the Renaissance English History Podcast, a part of the Agora Podcast Network. I'm your host, Heather Tusco, and I'm a storyteller who makes history accessible because I believe it's a pathway to understanding who we are, our place in the universe, and being more deeply in touch with our own humanity. In this episode, we're going to talk about jobs that people had in cities in Tudor England. So this is for those of you who want to travel back in time to Tudor England. So you can dust off your resume and start to update it with the skills you're going to need to work in a city in Tudor, England. Before we get started, though, you're a regular reminder about TudorCon. You guys, it's like less than four months away. Time to start planning that trip if you haven't yet. Three days of learning, feasting, new friendships. I've been confirming the Friday night welcome party entertainment. We've got all the speakers confirmed. We're like so ready for you, you guys. So one note is I am going to be taking down the four month payment plan and making it a two month plan in just about a week or so. Um, because since we're getting so much closer, I will need to have received the money by the event to pay the final bills. So we are now four months out. So, you know, the four month payment plan is is getting us right to the edge of when the event will happen. So I'm going to take that down and change it to a two month payment plan. So if you want to pay over four months get your ticket now-ish um, so you can continue to do that. All right. Um, Englandcast.com slash TutorCon for all of the details and to reserve your spot. So let's think about getting a job in the big city and what kind of work would have been available to us. In the last episode or the second to last episode, we talked about jobs available at the tutor Court. Today, we're going to take a different approach, relieving the grand halls of the court and the manicured gardens of the manor houses, and we're going to step into the bustling streets of Tudor London. We will rub elbows with the bakers at dawn, chat with the seamstresses in the morning, and visit the mariners by the docks in the afternoon. But most importantly, we are going to also highlight the often overlooked half of Tudor society, the women who brewed our beer, sewed our clothes, and ran our markets. So let's put on our cloaks, watch our purses, and hit the cobblestone streets. Part One Dawn, the Bakers and the Alewives. In the wee hours before the rooster has even thought about crowing, our first stop is the local bakery, a hub of activity. The bakers, both men and women, are already hard at work kneading the dough and tending to the ovens. Baking was an essential trade. After all, bread was a staple of the Tudor diet. Bakers, like all trades, usually learned their trade through an apprenticeship that could last for seven years. Starting as young as 10 years old, the apprentice would live with a master baker, learning all aspects of the craft from milling the grain to the actual baking itself. Women, often the wives or the daughters of the master bakers, were also involved in the baking. They would typically manage the sale of the bread, but don't be fooled, they knew their way around a dough trough and a hot oven just as well as their male counterparts. As the bakery fills with warm aroma of fresh bread, our next stop is the alehouse, where the alewives are already busy brewing. Ale was a common drink in Tudor, England. Safer than water, especially in cities. Out in the countryside, not so much, but in cities it was probably a lot safer than water and it was consumed by all ages at all times of day. The process of brewing was traditionally a woman's job carried out in the home. Alewives, as they were known, would brew ale for their household and sell any excess to their neighbors. However, as the demand for ale grew, so did the scale of brewing, and gradually it became a more commercial and male-dominated industry. But in our early morning visit, it's still the women who rule the roost. Alewives had a less formal path to their profession than bakers. Many would have learned the trade from their mothers, and it wasn't unusual for a woman to take up brewing as a way to supplement her family's income. And supplement it did. A successful alewife could earn a lot of money. Well, I mean, not enough to, like, get rich and retire, but a good amount. We're leaving our bakers and our alewives to their early morning tasks, and we're venturing into the awakening city. The sun is just beginning to peek over the rooftops, and we turn our attention to a different set of workers, the seamstresses and the market sellers. Let's start with the seamstress. Unlike bakers or brewers, a seamstress's work was not dictated by the break of dawn. Instead, her day began with the rest of London, her nimble fingers already at work, mending a tear or stitching a new garment as the city around her stirred to life. Like bakers, seamstresses often learned their trade through apprenticeship. They would typically be the daughters of tradesmen or small farmers sent to learn a trade that could support them in the future. Their work was meticulous, and it could be profitable, especially if they had a wealthy or noble patron. Seamstresses had a unique position in Tudor society. While most women were expected to know basic sewing skills for their own families, a professional seamstress was a specialist. Her knowledge extended beyond simple mending to include cutting patterns, fitting garments, and crafting intricate embroidery. It was a valued skill, and a good seamstress could find her services in high demand. As the city begins to stir, we find ourselves next at the bustling marketplaces. Market selling was a common occupation for many Tudor women. They sold everything from fruits and vegetables to eggs, poultry, and dairy products. Some even specialized in goods like textiles and ceramics or herbs and spices. Many of these women were wives or widows of farmers or craftsmen, supplementing the family income by selling goods produced at home or on the farm. But there were also women who made their living entirely from market selling. They would purchase goods wholesale from farmers or importers, then sell them at a profit in the markets. These women were shrewd business people, adept at negotiating prices, assessing the quality of goods, and managing their inventory. They had to be. The market was a competitive place, and success required a keen eye and a sharper mind. Part 3, Midday, The Mariners and Fishmongers As the city bustles in full swing, let's find ourselves at the bustling heart of commerce and trade in Tudor, London, the docks. Sailors, shipbuilders, and merchants throng the place, contributing to the city's lifeblood, trade. Tudor sailors were an adventurous lot, facing the high seas and unpredictable weather. Many were freemen working on merchant ships or Royal Navy vessels. They transported goods from far off lands, such as spices from the East Indies or sugar from the Caribbean. Their work was often dangerous and demanding, requiring physical strength, navigational knowledge, and a certain fearlessness in the face of the unknown. In contrast to the sailors were the shipbuilders, responsible for constructing and repairing the vessels that formed the backbone of Tudor trade and exploration. This was skilled work often passed down from father to son. Shipbuilders needed a deep understanding of timber, sailmaking, and the principles of ship design to ensure the vessels could withstand the rigors of long sea voyages. I've done a couple of episodes on the Tudor Navy, so I will link to them in the show notes um, if you want to dig deeper into the whole exploration and shipbuilding. Henry VII was really kind of the, the father of the Tudor Navy. Well, I guess Alfred the Great was really the father of the English Navy, but. Henry VII built the dry docks at Deptford and um, did a lot to build up the Tudor Navy and created Tudor Navy so that by the time his granddaughter, Elizabeth, was ruling, uh, England be, was, of course, a sea powerhouse. So if you want to dig deeper into that, I have a couple of episodes I will put in the show notes. As we walk down the bustling docks, we come across another vital group in the Tudor cityscape, the fishmongers. Tudor Londoners consumed a vast amount of fish due to religious fasting practices that forbade the consumption of meat on certain days. And with the Thames teeming with species like salmon, eel, and herring, fishmongers had a bustling trade. They would rise early, sourcing their goods from the fishermen who cast their nets in the river or the sea. They would then sell these in the markets, often gutting and cleaning the fish for their customers on the spot. Part 4. Afternoon. The Guildsmen and Women Workers. As we step into the afternoon bustle of Tudor London, we find ourselves amidst the organized chaos of the various guilds, which are the epicenters of trade and commerce in the city. These were the professional associations that regulated the different trades and crafts. They set the standards for their respective trades, determined fair pricing, provided training for apprentices, and even offered support to members in times of need. The guilds also played a significant role in civic life, often staging plays and pageants during public holidays. One of the most influential guilds in Tudor London was the Worshipful Company of Goldsmiths. As the name suggests, this guild regulated the work of gold and silversmiths. These skilled craftsmen created everything from elaborate jewelry to finely crafted tableware for the city's wealthy elite. The Goldsmiths Guild was also responsible for assaying gold and silver items to ensure that they met the required standards, a role they still perform today. Let's also think about the Merchant Tailors Guild, another powerful guild in the city. This association had the power to control the city's tailors, who were responsible for producing the fashionable garments that set Londoners so apart. They were not just tailors, they were designers, stylists, and trendsetters. They sourced the finest silks, wools, and linens from around the world, transforming them into the latest styles and trends. Let's not overlook the significant roles that women played in the bustling economic ecosystem of Tudor London. While women were typically excluded from formal guilds, they found their niches and contributed substantially to the city's economy. Many women worked alongside their husbands, fathers, or brothers in family businesses. Take, for instance, a baker's wife. She might have been involved in all aspects of the business, from kneading the dough and baking the loaves to serving customers and managing accounts. In a blacksmith's forge, you might find the blacksmith's daughter working the bellows or even assisting with the simpler aspects of the craft. As the day starts to draw to a close, let's explore how the city winds down after its workday. Part 5 Evening, Entertainers, and Night Workers. As the sun sinks behind the rooftops, the cityscape of Tudor London takes on a different hue. The streets, so filled with the bustle of traders, artisans, and craftsmen during the day, becomes a stage for a different kind of worker. The entertainers come out, musicians, actors, jesters, fire eaters. Their role is to provide much-needed amusement and distraction for the city's inhabitants after a long day of work. First, let's consider the actors, who are often treated with a mix of fascination and suspicion. This profession is not viewed as entirely reputable, and actors are often seen as rogues and vagabonds. Yet, despite this, they are beloved and patronized by the highest echelons of society, with Queen Elizabeth herself being known to enjoy plays. These actors perform in the many in-yard theaters scattered outside of London because of the rules that the city had set up. They often had to move outside across the river to Southwark, out near Finsbury, outside the city walls. And actually, I've done a number of episodes on the Elizabethan theater, too. So again, I will link to them in the show notes if you want to dive deeper. These yard theaters were the precursors to the grand Elizabethan theaters we think of today, like The Globe and they were often just cleared space in the yard of an inn surrounded by galleries. And they would, of course, perform the works of the day's great playwrights, bringing stories of love, tragedy, and comedy to life. Accompanying actors, we find the musicians adding a melodic soundtrack to the city's nightly activities. These could range from a lone minstrel strumming a lute in a tavern to a highly skilled consort of musicians performing at a nobleman's feast. They provide a much-needed escape from the daily grind, their tunes ranging from the popular ballads of the day to sophisticated courtly music. As we move further into the night, we encounter a different set of workers, night watchmen. These individuals are charged with maintaining order after dark. Theirs is a difficult and often very dangerous job. They patrol the streets, armed with lanterns to cut through the darkness and long staves for protection. They keep an eye out for disturbances, ready to apprehend thieves and break up brawls. The night watchman's cry of all's well is a familiar and comforting sound to the city's nighttime inhabitants. And lastly, we encountered link boys. These young boys, often not more than 10 or 12, earn their living by carrying torches to light the way for pedestrians or carriages. In the era before street lighting, their services are indispensable. They guide people through the maze-like warren of London streets, their flaming torches casting long shadows on the cobblestones. As we watch the Link Boys, actors, musicians, and watchmen at work, it's clear that Tudor London is a city that never truly sleeps. Each night, as the sun sets, these nighttime workers breathe life into the streets, their unique roles contributing to the unending rhythm of city life. As we journey through a day in the life of the workers in Tudor London, we see a vibrant, pulsing city teeming with individuals from all walks of life, each playing their part in the great tapestry of city living. This is a city of stark contrasts of wealth and poverty, of opportunity and hardship. Yet it's also a city of resilience and innovation, a city that thrives on commerce and community. Each job, each trade, each worker contributes to the hum and thrum of life, the constant ebb and flow that makes Tudor London what it is. And so, as we end our exploration, we take with us a deeper understanding of the people who made Tudor London not just the kings and queens and nobles and courtiers, but the everyday people who cooked the meals sold the wares, cleaned the streets, and kept watch at night. Their stories are the lifeblood of the city, their toil and tenacity, the building blocks of a society. In understanding their lives, we gain richer understanding of the world that they lived in, and perhaps a new perspective on our own. We will leave it there. Remember to learn more about TudorCon and reserve your spot for September 8th through 10th at englandcast.com slash TudorCon. You can hop into the Tudor Learning Circle a social network just for Tudor fans at Circle.com. I will be back in a couple of weeks. Until then, keep questioning and keep learning and always stay curious. Thanks so much for listening. Talk with you soon. Blow northern
0: wind, a scent maybe sway.
1: i a board in Bower Brick, that soul is em full maiden of me, fair and fray to fonder uh, In all this warfish a one of blood and of bond, never yet in most known, not so in London.